it's certainly just deep with talent. Maybe not with talent, just deep and in, in good teams. Welcome to the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast has been created not to dwell and over-evaluate what has already happened in the sports world, but to predict and to forecast what has yet to come. From game picks to draft picks, and from trades to free agent signings, we will let you know what happens before it happens. Your hosts, Nick and Nate, will evaluate, study, and understand sports patterns, tendencies, and nuances to better prepare you on what to expect. Just like Weatherman, but way more accurate. So if you like to pick games or you simply just want to be in the know before anybody else, you are in the right place. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Forecasters. I almost said Sports Analyst Podcast. It's the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Uh, this is Nathan. We have Nick. And before I throw it to you, Nick, I do I do need to get something off my chest here. Um, I've, I listen to podcasts. I watch a lot of sports talk shows and stuff. I do it while I work. It, you know, it's most of the time it's pretty relaxing. Helps me helps me focus on work. But lately, something's been really, really bothering me a lot about what all these so-called experts are saying in the state of the NFL. So last week, we saw a significant amount of upsets, right? Um, You know, a lot of the underdogs won, and some were way more surprising than others, like Jacksonville beating the Buffalo Bills, for example. Um, by the way, the mini cast is for real, folks. I almost picked Jacksonville to beat Buffalo just because of the whole Manning, the Manning curse. It's the new Madden curse. Whoever goes on to the Manning cast for Monday Night Football, their team loses the next week, and Josh Allen had to win. But I was like, okay, this is going to end now, right? Because Jacksonville's not going to beat Buffalo. Well, lo and behold, they did, so... Watch out for that if you're betting. <laughs> Watch out for the Manning curse. Regardless, I want to. Everyone's saying how much better the NFC is than the AFC, um, because they have like f- you know five or six teams, you know, with like two losses or or even one loss. Well, if you look at the AFC, you've got the Titan or the yeah the Titans and the Ravens with the two losses, but everyone else is like, you know, four losses, maybe three losses. Um, and, and I think obviously seeing Jacksonville beat the bills, um, and stuff like that, everyone's like, who's even good in the AFC, right? But let me give you some stats. Um, because I've said from the beginning, AFC is way better than NFC this year. I feel like they're way deeper. I I also just think they're just better, even the top teams. So I was very, I was very curious to see how you know how true this is, you know, because everyone's saying, oh, the NFC is not very good, and all the, you know, the NFC is, and so after this week, you know, I looked at the AFC versus NFC uh, matchups. There's been a total of thirty-seven games played between the AFC versus the NFC. In total, of those 37 games, they've only lost, they've lost 14 games, and they've won 23. If I'm doing my 
math correctly here, 23 divided by 37 is a 62% winning percentage. 62%. That is phenomenal for professional sports. I mean, if, if, if your team has a 62% winning percentage, you're clearly making the playoffs. So the AFC versus the NFC this year has a 62% winning percentage. I want to know a few teams' records versus the NFC. There are three, I'm sorry, there are four AFC teams that have an undefeated record versus the NFC. And they're combined 11-0 versus the NFC. The Buffalo Bills, the Denver Broncos, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Baltimore Ravens are combined 11-0 against the NFC. Now, Baltimore and Buffalo, okay, maybe we're not so surprised there just because, you know, those are two of the better teams in the AFC. But the Denver Broncos are 3-0. They're 5-4 overall, yet they're 3-0 against the NFC. The Kansas City Chiefs are 4-0 overall. You, you see all the struggles they're going through. They're, they've won only five games, but they're 4-0 versus the NFC. And in all honesty, Los Angeles Chargers, they're 2-1. They were this close to beating the Cowboys. Imagine if that had happened. Then you'd have five teams that are undefeated against the NFC. Tennessee Titans are just one loss away from being undefeated. The Cleveland Browns are just one loss away from being undefeated. Right, so we have four undefeated teams, and then there's three teams that have just that one loss, but have will have way more wins and losses against the NFC, and that's uh, the Browns, uh, the Chargers, and the Titans. So, and then I'm looking at the games this weekend, and the four teams. I think there's four games this weekend where AFC plays NFC, and all four of them, the AFC team is favored. So. It's clear and obvious that the AFC is by far better than the NFC because you can't let these records fool you. When 12 of your 17 games are in conference, of course the top teams in the NFC are going to have slightly better records than the top teams in the AFC because they get to play the worst competition in the NFC. But the AFC, 11 of the 16 teams have a winning record. And you play most of your games in our conference, that means an AFC team more than likely is going to be playing against another AFC team that has a winning record. That's insane. You know, that that's a, you know, and then the Buccaneers, they've only have one win this year against a team with a winning record. One win. They have two losses against teams with a winning record, though. Before we just look at records and and and, and say, oh, this conference better than that conference, you kind of got to get in the weeds a little bit. Um, records can be deceiving because if if your if your conference is just top heavy and very poor at the bottom half, well, you're going to look better by the eye test because you're going to like, oh my gosh, you're blowing out the Detroit Lions. You're blowing out these very poor teams. But then you go to the AFC and it's like, wow, the 11th seed in the AFC is the Cleveland Browns who right now kind of look like one of the scarier teams in the NFL. And they're an 11 seed (laughs) at five and four. So we need to, I just feel like 
these people just need to look more deep into the data here, into the stats. And so I just needed to get that off my chest because it has been really, really bothering me. The AFC is legit. It's a, it's a battle week in and week out. You can't take any game for granted. Just ask the Buffalo Bills. There's a lot of teams at the bottom of the AFC that can really, really spoil the day for the top-heavy teams. You can't say that about the NFC. And I feel like the the Ravens and the Titans and the Bills can all go toe-to-toe easily with the top teams in the NFC. I mean, they kind of have, right? Tennessee has already beaten the Rams, killed them without Derrick Henry in L.A. Denver just destroyed Dallas, right? So it's not like I'm just making it up saying, oh, AFC is going to, would beat them if they went head to head. I mean, they, they have been beating them when they've gone head to head. So the data's there, the proof's there, the NFC don't get fooled by their inflated records. AFC is so much better. It's so much deeper and um, it's so much exhilarating. So need to get that off my chest. Let's get going. Nick, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Doing excellent. Um, great take on the AFC versus NFC. It's been a very interesting week that went by with all the upsets and underdogs prevailing in the NFL this past week. Lots of things to look at. Picks didn't go so great, but we're hoping to have a rebound because underdogs can't keep winning. So let's go ahead and first, before we dive into the picks, just look at some things going on in the environment of sports to see what is going on, what's happening, and what are we seeing coming up. One issue that's been sticking around and hasn't landed a spot yet is a receiver that the Cleveland Browns have recently released at the trade deadline. There were rumors that they were trying to deal him out, but just couldn't find the right deal or no, no suitors that were willing to do that. And a receiver that really hit the map with a catch his rookie year, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. Now is a free agent, cleared waivers as of this recording, hasn't found a home yet. Some teams are rumored to be in the mix. so. We have this receiver in Odell Beckham Jr. who spent five years in New York, three years in Cleveland. Well, before I get into what my thoughts are, let's get your thoughts on it, Nathan. What are your thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr.? Yeah, I don't know if I... I... here. Okay, I don't know where to begin. Odell, to me, I think, could be like a Randy Moss. Could be. Um, And they kind of have a similar path. And I'm not suggesting Odell is as good as Randy. Don't I, I don't want that impression here. But Randy started off as a rookie where he played in Minnesota with a decent team, decent quarterback, decent system, and he put up great numbers, right? And Odell did the same in New York. I mean, he had a decent quarterback, decent team in New York, but then that team disintegrated real fast. And so did kind of his career, his you know five years there. And the same thing kind of happened in Minnesota with Randy. And then and then I think they both kind of had some off-the-field issues, personality issues. Um, ended up finding a spot where it was Oakland at the time for Randy and Cleveland for Odell. Whereas these kind of these, these uh, franchises that probably overcompensated to get them, they weren't quite good fits. Everyone thought, oh, Randy's career is over. Like, he's going in the tanks. Right, and people are saying now that with Odell, oh, he's not that good, his career's over. But then when Randy gets in a system that has a a winning culture that has 
a fantastic quarterback that zero tolerance. Randy seemed to really button up a bit and obviously just perform out of his mind in New England, 2007 years specifically. So I could see Odell still reviving his career, maybe not quite to the Randy Moss in New England revival, but I could I could see him reviving it if he's put on a team with a great culture, great structure, and great quarterback play. Because he's, he never really had that yet, and neither did Randy Moss, really. Maybe when he was early years as a, as a professional, but other than that, just never really had that. So I see kind of these two careers kind of going into similar paths. Now, am I as confident that Odell could revive his career as Randy Moss did? No, I don't think so because I just don't think he's as good as him. But do I? Would I be surprised if I see Odell go somewhere and you know start putting up what fifteen hundred reception yards and 10, 12 touchdowns? No, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he's capable of that. I just think his fit in Cleveland wasn't right. His personality didn't fit that culture and that team, and that's that's why you saw what you saw. Same thing with Randy in Oakland. But I think if he went to say Green Bay, I think. Seattle, I think you could see him have much better success. Um, and I know both of those teams already have a clear number one receiver, but I think both of those teams rely on their clear number one receiver too much in having someone like Odell who could go over the top, who could catch passes in the slot would actually benefit those teams and benefit Odell. That's, that's kind of my take. I think it's going to, we're going to have a more of a, it's going to be similar to Randy Moss, but maybe not as explosive as a career revival. Um, but I do have hope that he can get his mojo back if put into the right situation. What's your take? Excellent analysis on what's going on with Odell. And I completely agree. When the Cleveland trade happened on Madden, it sounded like a great trade. So if you popped in Madden, you'd have someone to throw to there. But in terms of what happened in Cleveland that first season there, he did well. He got a thousand yards receiving, played all but one game, ended up with four touchdowns, but the Browns were six and ten. Baker had looked like he regressed and looked like things were going so well at that point. But since then, he has been marginalized, usually most of it by injury. So not really much on his fault. But as you said on Sunday when we were messaging each other, it was clear that Odell being gone, just the Browns look like a different team. They look like they knew what they wanted to do. And unfortunately, Odell has channeled his inner 90s, air quote, diva wide receiver in him these last few seasons, last few in New York, and then these la- this last season here in Cleveland of where he feels like, oh, they're not using me the right way and stuff like that, which to his point, I would say is fair analysis that they're not getting the ball to him as much but when you're a team constructed like how Cleveland is you're a team that needs to not be focused on one receiver your strength is being able to utilize any player at any moment for anything and that's where Cleveland has been successful is like where you have a Jarvis Landry type receiver who is very good but is willing to do the blocking or take the short yardage receptions Sometimes he'll get a longer pass, but for the most part, that's not Baker's wheelhouse. And that's where 
you were saying for Odell, that wasn't the right fit for him. That wasn't the right kind of quarterback that would give him the opportunity to put up those gaudy numbers. It was one thing was going to change. Either he was going to change his attitude of what he thought he needed to do to be a contributing member to an NFL team, or the Cleveland Browns were going to have to do what they eventually did, because you and I have been calling for them to possibly be trading him or looking to trade him since this last offseason. Um, it's come to this. He has, supposedly has three teams on the market for him. So in terms of stability and that structure that he needs, two of the three would fit that criteria possibly, where the third team, I think, wouldn't be a good fit for him. The team I don't think would be a good fit for him would be the Kansas City Chiefs. As much as they would love to have that talent, I don't think they have the discipline in that system to command him to stay in line and do what he needs to do. Not because I think the system's bad. I just don't think it would be that system like get in line, know your place, and we'll get you the ball when it's time. Where the Saints, they are in need of a number one receiver, but I don't know that they have the quarterback to get it. So the system itself would lend itself to giving him that discipline, but I don't know that the quarterback would have the command to make sure he follows that. So then it leaves the Packers. And the only reason I would say the Packers would be the strongest suit in terms of having that system of discipline would be because Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams already have that massive connection. And you're not going to get in between that. You're going to have to hope that you do pay your dues and get your opportunities. So between those three teams, I see the Packers being the most successful based on the current situation that they have going on. Now, overall, I think the Saints would be the better overall fit throughout the career just because Sean Payton has this lineage and he knows what he wants for the system. But without that, number, with their number one quarterback going down for the season, I don't know that you would have that command in the huddle to make sure you keep him disciplined and keep him reeled in during the game. So for me, I think, like you said, Odell could have those spurts back up. But I think for the most part, he's going to be marginalized to being a mid-tier receiver now he'll have those spectacular catches highlight plays here and there but overall I think if he ends up in one of those three teams Green Bay is going to be the best fit for him in terms of giving him that discipline and giving him those opportunities that he's looking for but we'll see what happens with that do you have a guess on a team that he may end up with yes my guess is the Packers as well and you know he's probably only going to sign a one-year deal on to finish out the year and be a free agent next year you know, because he needs to, no one's going to take a risk on him this year um, because of the lack of numbers he's put up. So it's probably going to be a one-year deal, deal, and it, that's going to be his audition to get more maybe of a longer-term contract after this year with the team. I, I think uh, some interesting areas that aren't being talked about, I think the Baltimore Ravens would be a great fit for him. Um, they could really use a receiver like him. They're obviously in very good contention. The interesting part there, they still have to play the Browns twice. So that would be really, that would be such a great, fun, <laughs> you know, storyline there. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, you never know. People, all you see, all these sources is going to be these three teams, but maybe we, they've been wrong before. Let me look at JJ Watt, for example. I think a Ravens would be a very cool fit, interesting fit. And then obviously the story would be amazing in their contenders. But yeah, I think the Packers are by far like it's by far the best fit for him. By far, um, they kind of need a wide receiver too, and I think he's probably okay being a wide receiver too for the remainder of the year. At least get seven, eight targets a game. 
and show how awful he can do. Um, I think long term, somewhere like the Patriots would be a very good place for him. That team is really coming around lately. Mac Jones looks legit. I think prematurely, I want to send there this year if you want to compete for a Super Bowl. But look into next year, seeing how they end their season. I mean, that would really follow Randy Moss's shoes. So that's a very interesting fit. But anyways, uh, let's get going to our next topic here. I don't want to beat this one to death. Um, what else did we we wanted to discuss? I thought it was interesting of how the Big Ten has become a Russian roulette wheel of who's going to be that team. You and I have talked about it here and there. About first, we thought maybe it'd be well Ohio State. We we're seeing some holes. Then they had their loss against Oregon. We had Penn State and Iowa. We thought that was the battle of the Titans. Then Iowa turns around and loses the next week. Penn State falls, and it just like it's the Michigan State beats Michigan. Maybe they're going to be the team taking the charge. It just seems like a revolving door of who's going to be in the lead of the Big Ten. What's your take on what you're seeing with the Big Ten? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I've been a victim of the moment in the Big Ten. Um, I know in this show, it's like, oh, Ohio State's losing three games. They're going to lose to Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State. And then I was like, oh, once I saw the Penn State, Iowa beat Penn State, said Iowa's going to go all the way. And then they've <laughs> looked terrible. I'm like, all right, now I'm going for Michigan State, and now they lose to Purdue. It's so at the end of the day, it's it's feeling like it could be Ohio State at the you know at the end of the day winning the Big Ten, um, which is ironic for me because I was predicting they would just kind of get beat a couple times in the Big Ten. Yeah, this is a very interesting conference. Um, you see, like you said, Illinois beating Penn State, um, the spoiler makers. <laughs> Um, beating Iowa and then Michigan State and who knows maybe Ohio State and then I I though they haven't beat anyone I, I do want to throw in Nebraska there um, they've just barely lost to Michigan and Michigan State um, Ohio State beat them by nine so it's a little bit bigger of a, an, a defeat but Nebraska's just they they don't mess around even though they're about three and seven their seven losses are by like five points it's crazy they even lost close to Oklahoma that's a team that's like right there um so I I think with the Big Ten um and I this kind of goes along with what I was saying about the AFC and the NFC is the Big Ten is just is deep it's certainly just deep with talent maybe not with talent just deep and and good teams Brett Bielman the coach of Illinois I mean he, he used to coach Wisconsin when they were like super good. Um, that's a r- really good coach there. And when you got a really, really good coach on maybe a tier three team like Illinois, you can get those upsets. Purdue, like historically, they've been doing this. Um, I mean, they've, they've beat Ohio State. They spoiled Ohio State seasons a couple of times the last, what, decade? Almost three times. Um, but Ohio State survived one of them. So historically, Purdue's done this, right? And so I just I feel like the depth of the of the Big Ten is is legit because I I can't forget like Nebraska's three and seven. They were one of the worst teams record wise in the Big Ten. Yet they went toe to toe to the best team in the Big Twelve. That's how good they are. Um, so no game should be taken for granted in the Big Ten. You can't say that about the Big Twelve. You can't say that about the SEC. You really, really can't. Is anyone going to take Vandy seriously? Is anyone going to take um, South Carolina seriously? Like, no, they're not. And so 
once again, I think this is like the Big Ten is like the AFC and the SEC is like the NFC, where the the um, NFC is a lot of bad teams. So it makes it look like it's super top heavy, and the top heavy teams are super talented, like the SEC. But I don't, besides outside of Georgia, I don't really see any dominant teams in the SEC that could go head to head, you know, easily beat the top four or five teams in the Big Ten. Uh, but I still think Penn State's a phenomenal team. They have one of the best scoring defenses in the nation, right? Uh, but they got upset by, uh, you know, Illinois and because of stupid overtime rules. And they didn't have their starting quarterback against Iowa, right? And then they had to go face Ohio State. So they have had a pretty tough road there. So I I think Big Ten is is the best team in the nation, and I'm not saying that this because I'm from Ohio. I'm actually very critical of the Big Ten most of the time. But when your bottom teams are competing with your top teams, that's more of a compliment than an insult to your conference. And so I think that's what you see in the Big Ten here. And so I'm, I'm glad. I'm, But I think the committee sees this because they have three Big Ten teams in the top seven. So I think they see that the Big Ten is competitive and – um but if we keep upsetting each other, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, exactly. The Big Ten, the big thing for the top teams or the teams that have a chance for the college football playoffs, so you can't overlook these teams anymore. I know that's very cliche and very easy to say. And obviously, so far, Ohio State's held serve for that, and we'll see what happens with this weekend with Purdue. But the big thing is for Michigan and Ohio State and Michigan State, for them that get a Big Ten team into the playoffs, you yeah, to avoid those losses. And really, at this point, Michigan and Ohio State can't, or Michigan State still, to some degree, can't let themselves get devoured when they when they get to the point of playing each other. So, right now on paper, it might be Ohio State that's favorite, but it really might be Michigan. It just depends which team shows up on the field that day. And then the real question is, can Ohio State get through Michigan State, then Michigan? We'll see what happens there. It's just going to be an interesting next few weeks for the Big Ten. It's definitely going to be that side of the conference that's going to be the representative for the college football playoffs as long as they're not at two losses where it makes it murky if they can get in. So we'll see what's going on there. I think at the end of the day, a Big Ten team is going to make it um, because they've proven like how good they are. But like I'm afraid you're going to have this like three-way tie between Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Like. Ohio State beats Michigan, Michigan State beats, or, or whatever. Michigan beats Ohio State, Ohio State beats Michigan State, Michigan State beats Michigan, right? That kind of circular, <laughs> they all kind of cancel each other out. So um, we'll, yeah, we'll have to wait and see, but I think eventually they'll they'll have a Big Ten team in, in, the, in the playoff. Shall we move on to our pick? We shall. We have first, since we're in the college vibe, we have our Saturday night football game where number seven Notre Dame visits Virginia. This game has an over-under of 64. Notre Dame's favored by five and a half points. So, Nathan, what are you seeing for this Saturday night game? Yeah, so I, I almost want to do a hot take on Cincinnati being ranked solo. Um, Notre Dame has been playing very, very well. And this this uh, Cincinnati beating them is looking very, very good. Um, I've got, I got Notre Dame five and a half. I think this is a double-digit win. Um, to be honest with you, they, they've been playing very, very well. Virginia defense, I don't think is, uh, that good. I like Notre Dame here. I really do. Um, I think they win this game easily. Yeah. I'm going with the spread here. The five and a half isn't enough. Notre Dame's going to win by at least 
a touch. So Notre Dame ends up winning this, and they keep rolling on to keep themselves in that conversation. Moving on next, let's hit our NFL picks. Last week we didn't fare the best, but this week we're looking to rebound. We're not, so we'll see what happens here. First, let's start with our spread pick. Nathan, what do you have for your spread pick? Okay, this week I have, and I think there's still um, dogs by a point and a half, but I have the Cleveland Browns plus 1.5. I think they're a dangerous team right now um, without Odell. I think they're. it's like Odell was like the uh, that annoying pimple that you finally get away, get off your skin, you know, and, and now they're just like, okay, I can be myself again. And so we saw how scary this team was without Odell last year um and obviously game one oh they're they're two point dogs so i'm going to take cleveland plus two but clearly against a really good cincinnati team they've shown once again what they were like without him now nick chubb's not playing but as we realized it really doesn't matter who is um the running back in cleveland their offensive line is so good that their four stringer can also put up 160 rushing yards so Cleveland plus two against New England, who I know has looked hot. Talent-wise, Cleveland just has way more, and they're looking. They look good. For me, my spread game is going to go to Falcons at the Cowboys. Cowboys have to cover nine points, and I think they do. I think they are they have a sour taste in their mouth from that Broncos game. They get some things reorganized, resituated. They also get Michael. They potentially have Michael Gallup coming back, so another weapon for them to potentially utilize. I think they take it out on the Atlanta Falcons, who have been playing well as of late, but I think they go over those nine points and win that game. Next are over-under. Who are you looking at for your over and under? For my over-under here, I am going to go with... Sorry, my, my thing went away there. Um, Minnesota versus the Chargers. So I was, I was going to think between this one and the Rams game, but I'm going to stick with Minnesota Chargers. I think... Um, this could be the, the one thing that would hurt me here. I'm going to pick the under, by the way, under 52. The one thing that would hurt me here is I could see this game going into overtime, like 24, 24, and then it ends up being the over because of overtime. But uh, I, I just feel like this could be a very sloppy game. A lot of turnovers um, Two two very aggressive, like uh, quarterbacks in regards to like risk taking, which I think could lead to turnovers. So, I'm picking the under 52 for Minnesota and Chargers. I'm looking at the Lions and Steelers. Even though the Lions have failed to hit over 20 points since the 49ers and the Steelers always play their games razor thin close, the the over-under is at 43. I'm going to say it's going to go over. I think Lions coming off a bye are going to have try to have something to show. Steelers are going to respond by doing just enough to win the game, and it'll be over 43 points there. Next, we have the money line. Who is your money line pick for this week, Nathan? My money line pick is going to be what I had for my guess the spread. I think the Browns actually go into New England and beat the Patriots. So that's my money line. My money line is actually a game you mentioned in the Vikings and Chargers. Uh, Chargers have shown they're not very good against the run. Dalvin Cooks, he's an excellent back. So I think the Chargers have difficulty with that. Kirk Cousins is not in a primetime game. So I think he'll favor him and he'll do well with it i'm going to have the vikings pulling off the upset in los angeles moving on next to our sunday night football game chiefs at the raiders what are you looking at here nathan yeah i don't really like this matchup for uh, several reasons because you just don't know what you're going to get with the chiefs um how inconsistent they are and then obviously the raiders right now are, are a mess <laughs> every week it seems like someone else is being 
relieve of their duties as a Las Vegas Raider. So um, this is very difficult. I think the safe <laughs> the safe pick here, and I'm only basing this off of Kansas City's record versus the AFC, um, which is one and four. I'm going to pick Vegas plus two and a half. They didn't do very well last week. They haven't lost back-to-back games. They're going up against uh, bottom three defense in the in the league. Um, it's a rivalry game at home in prime time. I think the um, Raiders Nation will be electric, and I think at some point they're going to really just rally behind Derek Carr, who I feel like has been a very acting professional um, in regards to everything, all the craziness happening in in Vegas right now. Um, and his team. So I, I feel like people are going to rally behind him. I think this team has a something to rally behind. And like I said, Kansas City's one of four against the AFC. So I just I feel like this is going to be a very, very close game. So I'll pick Vegas plus two and a half. I'm going to go look at the over and under. I'm just not, like you said, I'm not sure what I'm going to get here. But Kansas City in their last three games have failed to get over much over 20. Raiders. They've been able to hit 30, so I'm just kind of spinning a wheel here and hoping that I hit right on this one. The over-under is at 51.5. I think they're going to be under it. I think it's going to be a tightly contested game. Chiefs no longer want to be in that shootout. They're just not clicking well enough to do that. Teams have figured out some kind of coverage to slow them down and hamper what they're going to do. Raiders will put up points if needed, but I think they'll play this one a little closer just being division rivals. So I'm going to say the 51.5, it will go under that total. Now we have our wild card picks. Nathan, go ahead and lead us off with the wild card picks. I'm gonna pick Tennessee minus three against the Saints. Um, I I'm surprised how low this spread is. I thought this would be more like a five and a half or six point favorite for Tennessee, not three points. Um, so I'm picking them. I mean, they just they just went to LA and improve how good they are even without Derrick Henry. Um, that's one of the deadliest passing attacks in the league, and they shut them down. Um, Tennessee secondary, which was a weakness at the beginning of the year, is becoming way better. Um, they're looking better. Their defense is looking better. And so they're going to go up against Trevor you know, Simeon and the whomping New Orleans Saints passing attack. Yeah, I just, I just don't see the Saints having any sort of offense in this game at all. Um, and Tennessee, even Derrick Henry less, is still going to be able to move the ball up and down the field. So I got Tennessee minus three. My wild card actually happens to be the same thing. The Titans' performance Sunday night proved that they have something figured out to help get themselves through this time without Derrick Henry. They have a good, they have a better defensive scheme. They look more aggressive. And when you get in a quarterback's face, especially one with the experience level of Trevor Simeon, I just don't think things are going to turn out well for New Orleans. Their offense just hasn't proved that they can click and move on without Jameis. And so I have the Titans as well. That's going to do it for our podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Sports Forecasters. You've been listening to Nathan Singer. I'm Nick Alvarez, and we'll see you next time.